Well, you're in the right place. Really, you are. Okay, so you can't sleep. Don't worry, you will soon enough. And in the meantime, a little John Steinbeck isn't going to hurt either one of us, so let's go. With John Steinbeck's The Red Pony. And this is chapter one, The Gift. At daybreak, Billy Buck emerged from the bunkhouse and stood for a moment on the porch, looking up at the sky. He was a broad, bandy-legged little man with a walrus mustache, with square hands, puffed and muscled on the palms. His eyes were a contemplative, watery gray, and the hair, which protruded from under his Stetson hat, was spiky and weathered. Billy was still stuffing his shirt into his blue jeans as he stood on the porch. He unbuckled his belt and tightened it again. The belt showed, by the worn, shiny places opposite each hole, the gradual increase of Billy's middle over a period of years. When he had seen to the weather, Billy cleared each nostril by holding its mate closed with his forefinger and blowing fiercely. Then he looked down to the barn, rubbing his hands together. And he walked down to the barn, rubbing his hands together. He curried and brushed two saddle horses in the stalls, talking quietly to them all the time. And he'd hardly finished when the iron triangle started ringing at the ranch house. Billy stuck the brush and curry comb together and laid them on the rail and went up to breakfast. His action had been so deliberate and yet so wasteless of time that he came to the house while Mrs. Tiflin was still ringing the triangle. She nodded her gray head to him and withdrew into the kitchen. Billy Buck sat down on the steps because he was a cowhand and it wouldn't be fitting that he should go first into the dining room. He heard Mr. Tiflin in the house stamping his feet into his boots. The high jangling noise of the triangle put the boy Jody in motion. He was only a little boy, 10 years old, with hair like dusty yellow grass and with shy, polite gray eyes and with a mouth that worked when he thought. The triangle picked him up out of sleep. It didn't occur to him to disobey the harsh note. He never had. No one he knew ever had. He brushed the tangled hair out of his eyes and skinned his nightgown off. In a moment, he was dressed. Blue chambray shirt and overalls. It was late in the summer, so of course, there were no shoes to bother with. In the kitchen, he waited until his mother got from in front of the sink and went back to the stove. And then he washed himself and brushed back his wet hair with his fingers. His mother turned sharply on him as he left the sink. Jody looked shyly away. I've got to cut your hair before long, his mother said. Breakfast's on the table. Go on in so Billy can come. Jody sat at the long table, which was covered with white oilcloth, washed through to the fabric in some places. The fried eggs lay in rows on their platter. Jody took three eggs on his plate and followed with three thick slices of crisp bacon. He carefully scraped a spot of blood from one of the egg yolks. Billy Buck clumped in. Oh, that won't hurt you, Billy explained. That's only a sign the rooster leaves. Jody's tall, stern father came in then 
and Jody knew from the noise on the floor that he was wearing boots. But he looked under the table anyway to make sure. His father turned off the oil lamp over the table, for plenty of morning light now came through the windows. Jody did not ask where his father and Billy Buck were riding that day, but he wished he might go along. His father was a disciplinarian. Jody obeyed him in everything, without questions of any kind. Now, Carl Tiflin sat down and reached for the egg platter. Got the cows ready to go, Billy? He asked. In the lower corral, Billy said. I could just as well take them alone. Sure you could, but a man needs company. Besides, your throat gets pretty dry. Carl Tiflin was jovial this morning. Jody's mother put her head in the door. What time do you think you'll be back, Carl? I can't tell. I gotta see some men in Salinas. Might be gone till dark. The eggs and coffee and big biscuits disappeared rapidly. Jody followed the two men out of the house. He watched them mount their horses and drive six old milk cows out of the corral and start over the hill toward Salinas. They were going to sell the old cows to the butcher. When they had disappeared over the crown of the ridge, Jody walked up the hill in back of the house. The dogs trotted around the house corner, hunching their shoulders and grinning horribly with pleasure. Jody patted their heads. Doubletree Mutt, with big thick tail and yellow eyes, and Smasher the Shepherd, who'd killed a coyote and lost an ear in doing it. Smasher's one good ear stood up higher than a collie's ear should. Billy Buck said that always happened. After the frenzied greeting, the dogs lowered their noses to the ground in a businesslike way and went ahead, looking back now and then to make sure that the boy was coming. They walked up through the chicken yard and saw the quail eating with the chickens. Smasher chased the chickens a little to keep in practice in case, in case there should ever be sheep to herd. Jody continued on through the large vegetable patch where the green corn was higher than his head the cow pumpkins were green and small yet. He went on to the sagebrush line where the cold spring ran out of its pipe and fell into a round wooden tub. He leaned over and drank close to the green mossy wood where the water tasted best. Then he turned and looked back on the ranch, on the low whitewashed house girded with red geraniums and on the long bunkhouse by the cypress tree where... Billy Buck lived alone. Jody, Jody could see the great black kettle under the cypress tree. That was where the pigs were scalded. The sun was coming over the ridge now, glaring on the whitewash of the houses and barns, making the wet grass blaze softly. Behind him, in the tall sagebrush, the birds were scampering on the ground, making a great noise among the dry leaves. The squirrels piped shrilly on the side hills. Jody looked long at the farmhouses. He felt an uncertainty in the air, a feeling of change and of loss, and of the gain of new and unfamiliar things. Over the hillside, two big black buzzards sailed low to the ground, and their shadows slipped smoothly and quickly ahead of them. Some animal had died in the vicinity. Jody knew it. Might be a cow, or might just be the remains of a rabbit. The buzzards overlooked nothing. Jody hated them 
as all decent things hate them. But they could not be hurt because they made a way with carrion. After a while, the boy sauntered down the hill again. The dogs had long ago given up and gone into the sagebrush to do things in their own way. Back through the vegetable garden he went, and he paused for a moment to smash a green musk melon with his heel. But he was not happy about it. It was a bad thing to do. He knew perfectly well. He kicked dirt over the ruined melon to conceal it. Back at the house, his mother bent over his rough hands, inspecting his fingers and nails. It did little good to start him clean to school, for too many things could happen on the way. She sighed over the black cracks on his fingers and then gave him his books and his lunch and started him on the mile walk to school. She noticed that his mouth was working a good deal this morning. Jody started his journey. He filled his pockets with little pieces of white quartz that lay in the road, and every so often he took a shot at a bird or at some rabbit that had stayed sunning itself in the road too long. At the crossroads over the bridge, he met two friends, and the three of them walked to school together, making ridiculous strides and being rather silly. School had just opened two weeks before. There was still a spirit of revolt among the pupils. It was four o'clock in the afternoon when Jody topped the hill and looked down on the ranch again. He looked for the saddle horses, but the corral was empty. His father was not back yet. He went slowly, then, toward the afternoon chores. At the ranch house, he found his mother sitting on the porch, mending socks. There's two donuts in the kitchen for you, she said. Jody slid to the kitchen and returned with half of one of the donuts already eaten and his mouth full. His mother asked him what he learned in school that day, but she didn't listen to his donut-muffled answer. She interrupted. Jody, tonight, see you fill the wood box clear full. Last night, you crossed the sticks, and it wasn't only about half full. Lay the sticks flat tonight, and Jody, some of the hens are hiding eggs, or else the dogs are eating them. Look about in the grass and see if you can find any nests. Jody, still eating, went out and did his chores. He saw the quail come down to eat with the chickens when he threw out the grain. For some reason, his father was proud to have them come. He never allowed any shooting near the house for fear the quail might go away. When the wood box was full, Jody took his twenty-two rifle up to the cold spring at the brush line. He drank again and then aimed the gun at all manner of things, at rocks, at birds on the wing, at the big black pig kettle under the cypress tree. But he didn't shoot, for he had no cartridges, and wouldn't have until he was twelve. If his father had seen him aim the rifle in the direction of the house, he would have put the cartridges off another year. Jody remembered this and did not point the rifle down the hill again. Two years was long enough to wait for cartridges. Nearly all his father's presents were given with reservations, which hampered their value somewhat. It was good discipline. The supper waited until dark for his father to return. When at last he came in with Billy Buck, Jody could smell the delicious brandy on their breaths. Inwardly he rejoiced, for his father sometimes talked to him when he smelled of brandy. 
sometimes even told things he had done in the wild days when he was a boy. After supper, Jody sat by the fireplace, and his shy, polite eyes sought the room corners, and he waited for his father to tell what it was he contained, for Jody knew he had news of some sort. But he was disappointed. His father pointed a stern finger at him. You better go to bed, Jody. I'm going to need you in the morning. That wasn't so bad. Jody liked to do the things he had to do as long as they weren't routine things. He looked at the floor and his mouth worked at a question before he spoke it. What, what are we going to do in the morning, kill a pig? He asked softly. Never you mind, you better get to bed. When the door was closed behind him, Jody heard his father and Billy Buck chuckling. He knew it was a joke of some kind. And later, when he lay in bed trying to make words out of murmurs in the other room, he heard his father protest, But Ruth, I didn't give much for him. Jody heard the hoot owls hunting mice down by the barn, and he heard a fruit tree limb tap-tapping against the house. A cow was lowing when he went to sleep. When the triangle sounded in the morning, Jody dressed more quickly than even usual. In the kitchen, while he washed his face and combed back his hair, his mother addressed him irritably. Don't you go out until you get a good breakfast in you. He went into the dining room and sat at the long white table. He took a steaming hot cake from the platter, arranged two fried eggs on it, and covered them with another hot cake and squashed the whole thing with his fork. His father and Billy Buck came in. Jody knew from the sound of the floor that both of them were wearing flat-heeled shoes, but he peered under the table to make sure. His father turned off the oil lamp, for the day had arrived and he looked stern and disciplinary. But Billy Buck? He didn't look at Jody at all. He avoided the shy, questioning eyes of the boy and soaked a whole piece of toast in his coffee. Carl Tiflin said crossly, you come with us after breakfast. Jody had trouble with his food then. He felt a kind of doom in the air. After Billy had tilted his saucer and drained the coffee which had slopped into it and had wiped his hands on his jeans, the two men stood up from the table and went out into the morning light together, and Jody respectfully followed a little behind them. He tried to keep his mind from running ahead, tried to keep it absolutely motionless. His mother called, Carl, don't you let it keep him from school. They marched past the cypress where a single tree hung from a limb to butcher the pigs on and past the black iron kettle. Hmm. So it was not a pig killing. The sun shone over the hill and through long dark shadows of the trees and buildings. They crossed a stubble field to shortcut to the barn. Jody's father unhooked the door and they went in. They'd been walking toward the sun on the way down. The barn looked black as night in contrast and warm from the hay and from the beasts. Jody's father moved over toward the one box stall. Come here, he ordered. Jody could begin to see things now. He looked into the box stall and then stepped back quickly. A red pony colt 
was looking at him out of the stall. Its tense ears were forward, and a light of disobedience was in its eyes. Its coat was rough and thick as an Airedale's fur, and its mane was long and tangled. Jody's throat collapsed in on itself and cut his breath short. He needs a good currying, his father said. And if I ever hear of you not feeding him or leaving his stall dirty, I'll sell him off in a minute. Jody couldn't bear to look at the pony's eyes anymore. He gazed down at his hands for a moment, and he asked very shyly, Mine? No one answered him. He put his hand out toward the pony. Its gray nose came close, sniffing loudly, and the lips drew back, and the strong teeth closed on Jody's fingers. The pony shook its head up and down, and seemed to laugh with amusement. Jody regarded his bruised fingers. Well, he said with pride, well, I guess he can bite all right. The two men laughed somewhat in relief. Carl Tiflin went out of the barn and walked up a side hill to be by himself, for he was embarrassed. But Billy Buck stayed. It was easier to talk to Billy Buck. Jody asked again, Mine? Billy became professional in tone. Sure, that is, if you look out for him and break him right, I'll show you how. He's just a colt. You can't ride him for some time. Jody put out his bruised hand again, and this time the red pony let his nose be rubbed. I ought to have a carrot, Jody said. Where'd we get him, Billy? Bought him at a sheriff's auction, Billy explained. A show went broke in Salinas and had debts, and the sheriff was selling off their stuff. The pony stretched out his nose and shook the forelock from his wild eyes. Jody stroked the nose a little, and he said softly, There isn't a saddle? Billy Buck laughed. I forgot. Yeah, come along. In the harness room, he lifted down a little saddle of red Morocco leather. It's just a show saddle, Billy said disparagingly. It isn't practical for the brush, but it was cheap at the sale. Jody couldn't trust himself to look at the saddle either, and he couldn't speak at all. He brushed the shining red leather with his fingertips, and after a long time, he said, It'll look pretty on him, though. He thought of the grandest and prettiest things he knew. Well, uh, if he hasn't a name already, I think I'll call him Gabble and Mountains, he said. Billy Buck knew how he felt. It's a pretty long name. Why don't you just call him Gabalin? That means hawk. That would be a fine name for him. And Billy felt glad. And if you'll collect tail hair, I might be able to make a hair rope for you sometime. You could use it for a hackamore. Jody wanted to go back to the box stall. Could I lead him to school, do you think, to show the kids? But Billy shook his head. He's not even halter broke yet. We had a time getting him here. Had to almost drag him. Ooh, and you better be starting for school, though. I'll bring, I'll bring the kids to see him here this afternoon, Jody said.